Welcome to another edition of the Inside Scoop. My name is Neil Crawford. I'm your host and also the founder of Anytime Soccer Training. If you're not familiar with the Inside Scoop, it's a podcast dedicated to helping parents learn about the soccer pathways that would be available if their child lived in another city around the world. And this show is brought to you in part by Anytime Soccer Training. It's the only training app with well over 5,000 training videos that are all 100% follow along and follows a step-by-step curriculum, which covers everything. It's a total solution for coaches who want to give their kids extra training homework at home and parents who want to help their children become more technical, more confident in a way that doesn't overwhelm them, that's fun and effective. So check out anytime-soccer.com to learn more about the program and to get content like this. And remember, it's free to join and you get a lot of great content. So now let's get on to the show. Now, this is another um, stream of consciousness show based on conversations that we're having in the Facebook group. And I've touched on this subject in the past But I wanted to do one podcast where I just focus on a very specific point uh, as succinctly as I can. Now, earlier today, I posted a video, uh, a 20 second clip of a behind the scenes video of a drill that we're adding to the curriculum. And I post these for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's just marketing, show people behind the scenes and get people's reactions. And invariably, when I post these short clips, um, um, someone effectively says, hey, you, you can you can improve this drill, basically, by making it more game like. Or they ask the question, how does this particular drill translate to the game? And that that question is open-ended and can mean a lot of things, but it does make me pause and say, you know what? I need to recalibrate everybody on some of the motivation behind creating any time soccer training and some of the problems that I am personally trying to solve or at least lessen. So remember, anytime soccer training and what we're trying to do was created to solve some specific problems. I'm not going to list them all, but I'm going to talk about a couple of them. Number one, it was designed to solve a problem that coaches were having. I want my kids to get extra touches at home. I want to stay connected with my children. I want to send them quality training content that's follow along that I know they're able to do. I want it to be professionally done and I want it to follow a curriculum. I have spent hours and hours searching YouTube, pulling this stuff together. But even when I send it to my kids, which by the way, most of it is not follow along, I have no way of knowing if they're doing it. Okay, so that's the first problem. And then the second problem to that is there are other programs who do something similar, but they're thousands and thousands of dollars and they're not comprehensive. So we created Anytime Soccer Training that costs less than $5 per player per year be comprehensive and organized and professional. So that's the first problem. But a broader problem is the problem we're trying to solve for parents who want to actively work with their children. And in that regard, anytime soccer training is just a technological manifestation of a broader problem that we're trying to solve. We want parents to be empowered to help their children become more technical in a skill-based sport 
in a way that doesn't overwhelm them or cause too much friction between the sporting relationships. So this is a very important problem. And it's a problem that we found um, to be neglected. I found it to be neglected. And I thought this is this should be one of the cornerstone things that people talk about because it's you're you're we're putting our children into a skill-based environment that's competitive without the tools to help them at home. And I felt like this was something that needed to be addressed. And that friction there and that problem that the parent is having is part of a broader issue that I'm seeing in the States. So what's the broader issue? The broader issue is the majority of our children are in these competitive environments, pick the alphabet league, pick the alphabet club, pick the superlative. They're in these environments but they don't get enough touches outside of team training. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is, and, and the parents who do help the child get the extra touches tend to pay someone um, an hourly rate and no offense to our, our private trainers, but they tend to pay people to help their child get these extra touches. But the problem is, and there are a few problems with that, the volume of touches that the child needs to get, it would, if they were able to get those, would be prohibitively expensive if you solely relied on paying someone. And some of these touches need to be deliberate practice, delayed gratification cut touches, okay? And it would be prohibitively expensive to pay someone to do that. And you lose the flexibility when you don't DIY, DIY some of it. So in other words, you can't do five minutes before practice or five minutes in the morning or 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. Everything has to be structured with that trainer. And so that is not the right strategy. The right strategy is a combination of what you can afford and doing um, some of this stuff on your own. Okay, so that's another problem. And then the final problem uh, and within these the, this group of problems, there's loads of them is when the parent tries, and many parents do try to DIY their, some of the training, um, there's friction, there's frustration between the parent and the child. Familiarity breeds contempt. Parent loses their cool, child becomes frustrated, parent realizes I'm causing more harm than good. And even if they're able to overcome that barrier, which in many cases they're not, where do I start? Right. So they spend hours on YouTube trying to find this stuff. I was there. So that was another problem we saw. Tried to solve. But in designing a program to solve this problem, intellectually, I had to think, okay, intellectually, what am I doing? And does this make sense, at least to me? And intellectually, I, you know, I said, well, this program is rooted on a few pillars. Number one, it's just straight up common sense, right? Take it for what it's worth. You practice something, you're gonna get better. Another one's my own personal experience. Also the experiences of my children and, and the results I was able to get with them, the experiences of others, the experiences of the kids I trained and the experiences of people who use the program and the experiences of people I just researched. And it was also rooted, and this is important, in the broader and general study of neuroplasticity. And I'm saying broader in general because this is not my area of expertise, but this is an area that I did spend a lot of time reading about, just enough to be dangerous as I was developing the program. And so 
Just so we're clear, what is um, neuroplasticity? In general, it's the capacity of our brain cells to change in response to our behavior. So I interpret that as saying, you literally can behave in such a way. You can put the body in motion in such a way that it actually impacts the way your brain, I mean, it actually changes your the cells in your brains, the causes your brain to actually change or the connective tissues within your brain to strengthen or loosen. And it's even more um, malleable the younger you are, right? And so that's why like, it's easier for our children to learn something than it is for us, right? So that's, that's a cornerstone. Now, neuroplasticity though has components and I'm gonna go over a couple of them. Again, to increase neuroplasticity, to become, to increase the, the, the um, co connective connection in the brain that kind of helps you do things. It has components if that's your goal. And I'm just going to highlight a few of them, okay? But remember, I'm not an expert on this. I, I don't think I need to tell you that. But this is sort of some of the research I did as I was designing Anytime Soccer Train. Well, one of the components is that the, the thing you're doing has to be challenging and, and novel, right? And so the newer the skill is to you, the newer the concept to you, it's the stronger it's going to, it's going to start off harder, but the stronger it's going to make that connection. And you want to constantly add newer and newer challenges. There must be some intentionality there, right? So you must care about the skill, right? So it's no, it doesn't work as well if you don't want to learn it, you don't want to be there, you must care about it. And you must be specific and apply specific attention to that specific skill. So in other words, you have to focus on that exact thing. And then you need repetitions and a degree of intensity. And the best way to do that is, it's not the best way, but one recommended way to do that is short, of, short bouts of intense reps because you need a lot of reps and you need a degree of intensity. So shorten the amount of, time you're doing each rep um, and be intense when you do that rep. And finally, it takes a lot of time and a lot of time and a lot of patience. We talked about the role of uh, time in previous podcasts, and I'm actually going to do a podcast specifically on time and how I think about time. So all of these things are, all of these components are needed to optimize the uh, improvement of neuroplasticity, which is this connection in well, changing the cells to improve the connective tissues in the brain that kind of tells you what to do. So it needs to be challenging. You need to have some intentionality about it. You need to be specifically focused on the task. You need reps and a degree of intensity. And um, you got to spend a lot of time on it. That's just how it works. Now, here's where Here's how, here's my opinion. It's not based on any science. This is my opinion. And I want to share this opinion with you for public consumption and get your feedback. Probably won't come off this opinion because again, it's based on my own, a lot of my experiences and what I've seen, but I definitely learn not, I learn from your feedback, not to necessarily quote unquote, quote unquote change my mind, but add um, more information to the body of work that I'm trying to build. 
in this opinion, either, let me, what's the best way to say? I think people either disagree with this opinion or don't think about it in these terms, or at least don't express their opinion in these terms until we have more and more follow-up conversations. So here we go. I believe that you can practice the components of a skill and the components of increasing neuroplasticity, as I laid out, in isolation and together in a sort of ecological environment. And, and both ways will, and I didn't word it right, so let me repeat it. Both ways will help you improve overall. So I think you can become, and let's just be straight up, you can become a better soccer player. You can become more skillful. You can be uh, whatever people perceive as you becoming, a, whatever they look for as a good soccer player, you can improve in those areas by practicing skills in isolation, practicing the components of neuroplasticity in isolation, and also practicing the components of a skill and the components of neuroplasticity together within an ecological environment, such as small-sided games and actually actual real games. And where, so that's the first thing, and where I probably divide with many people in the coaching community is, I don't think either way is intrinsically better or worse. I just think they de what you decide to do depends on many factors, right? So in isolation, my sons come home for 10 minutes after school, two days a week for 10 minutes and do a rebounder drill. They're practicing the particular skill and a component of neuroplasticity. So them kicking the ball off the wall, even though it has 500 rebound reveals. So sometimes it's challenging, but in the most case, in the most, in most cases, it's not challenging or novel, but, oh, and they're not particularly intentional about it. They kind of, <laughs> them kicking the ball off the wall is not particularly important to them, but it is specific. They are getting repetitions and there is a degree of intensity, not as much as you would get in a small-sided game situation, but you won't get the reps in a small-sided game. And then there's a time component, right? They're practicing this in isolation. But then I just watched a futsal game, rewatched some futsal touches, um, futsal clips from my son, one of my sons. In the touch that he's able to, that first touch that he's able to execute in those games, is challenging him to use the same skill that he was practicing uh, kicking the ball off the wall, but in a combination in an ecological futsal environment where there are a lot of other moving parts. And I could see that he's improved because he's doing those drills, right? But he's also improving that first touch and all these other stuff, all this other stuff by playing a donor sport which is futsal, to his primary sport, which is outdoor soccer. And I, where I think I probably 
divide from most coaches in the coaching community. I don't see that futsal experience as intrinsically better or worse than him kicking the ball off the rebound. As a matter of fact, I think they should work in concert because I think he's able to uh, experience more success. He's able to get the ball more. He's able to execute higher order things uh, in that futsal game because of the work he did in the garage. And finally, we go back, we circle back to the one of the problems we have, which is the friction between the parent and the uh, child when doing extra, getting extra touches at home. Well, I believe, again, this is my opinion, in most cases, it's easier to execute individual uh in execute the practice of a component of neuroplasticity or a component of a skill it's easier to execute that there's less risk of arguing crying fighting fussing between parent and child it's easier to do that um practice those skills in isolation than it is to create the game-like environment the ecosystem since ecosystem environmental environment that is needed in order to do a multifaceted uh, training. And I think, and I talked about this in a previous podcast, that the latter is best reserved for the team, coach, and small-sided game environment. And oh, by the way, a free play environment. Because those, because when when the coach is doing it and the team is doing it, you have you 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 have inherent um, variables that are just hard to recreate as a parent. And that's a fancy way of saying there are a lot of kids. They're going to compete against each other. The coach has pressure really to do a lot of things that are different and challenging. The coach has a curriculum that they must um, get through that's going to forward force novel and challenges, right? They can't just do the same thing over and over again, no matter how much the kid may or may not need it. There's going to be intentionality there because most children want to impress their coach and do well amongst their teammates, where at home they don't necessarily want to do that. You will lose some of the repetitions, but you're going to gain in the intensity big time. And then you will lose some of the time, right? That's part, part of the problem, but you're obviously spending a lot of time in team environments. And so I will conclude in saying that these things have to work in concert. And I'm going to summarize again by saying, hey, I think you can practice them in um, isolation. So in other words, my son can go outside every day and kick the ball against the wall. He's going to become, he's going to improve his first touch and that first, and his improvement in that first touch will translate into, into a game environment. I also think you can um, do a small side of game with five-year-olds and, and, and set some constraints up and they have to kick the ball here and kick the ball there and keep it in the box and the blah, blah, blah. And I also think that's going to improve their first touch, the skills that are needed. They're going to enjoy the experience even more. They're going to have a lot of instant gratification and that's going to help them. But I think if you were, if these two work in concert, so you give me the kid that's spending five minutes a day that week, kicking the ball off the wall and then put them into that, a more complex environment, I believe they're going to have more success, have more confidence, and enjoy that experience more. And equally important, from a brain function perspective, they're going to be able to 
they're going to get more out of that um, experience than they would have otherwise. So I would love to hear your thoughts. Um, definitely. Uh, I'm going to post this in the Facebook group. And if you, <laughs> if you want to have a conversation about it, you want to debate about it, you want to call me, I'm like, listen, let's talk about this thing because I, I enjoy this conversation and check in and check out. Hey, this is Neil with Anytime Soccer Training. Check out anytime-soccer.com to learn more about what we do and let's get better together. Hey guys, there are two points that I forgot to make in the original podcast. Firstly, in no way am I saying that my opinion is the only right opinion and the only way to uh, approach skill acquisition and becoming a greater soccer player. As a matter of fact, Anytime Soccer Training only recently launched and my views are going to be relatively limited. What I am saying is a couple of things. Number one, we are setting out to solve a very specific problem that coaches and parents have. And if you're not, if the person who's giving you advice is not familiar with this very specific problem, um, their advice and their guidance um, may lack the context needed to be relevant to your particular situation if you're trying to solve this problem. And the second thing, which is a related to that is oftentimes people in the community impugn what you're doing um, if they view it not being what they would perceive to be game-like. And this is an argument to say, no, there is science and there's a rationale. And, and I have experience to say, you can do all the above. Sometimes you can break it down into its components and make sure they uh, practice in those and that's easier to execute and they will benefit from that. And then a lot of times they need to be uh, in an ecosystem, soccer related ecosystem that forces them and challenges them and motivates them and it's, and it's a complex environment. And one of the best ways to create that environment is actually just playing a game, just free play. Um, you know, it's been used for thousands of years and it's going to be used for thousands of more. But then also coaches have a role uh, in creating um, that environment through constraints to force the child to leverage those skills that they should have practiced and acquire new ones. So again, that's a long way of saying there are no right, there are no wrong answer and there are no absolute answers. This is just one perspective on a particular problem that's so nuanced that many of the people giving you advice will not have considered. In the second um, point I forgot to make, and this is a very important one, is as humans, we have to group things in categories. So there are categories like how many years, how old you are, there are categories about like your developmental level, what stage of development you're in. There's another category, which is um, beginner, like what, when they're describing your skill, you're a beginner, you're advanced, or you're um, intermediate, right, in the middle. Well, these categories don't always fit nicely in, um, or they don't overlay nicely onto the other framework. So in other words, you're birth year may not fit nicely on your to describe your the categories of skill so in other words 
You can be a 10-year-old and be relatively advanced technically or be a 15-year-old and be a beginner technically. And, and beginner, and so what people tend to do is they try to say, oh, yeah, beginners should, it makes sense to me that beginners should practice a skill individually. But if you're more advanced, you should move on from that and, and have to apply that skill in a game-like environment. Where I argue, no, it's kind of messy, number one. And the best way for me to think about it is almost like a, a circle or a spear or, or something rotating where all of these things have to work with a bit of chaos. So, it, so for example, you know, someone who has never played soccer will benefit greatly by playing with advanced kids in a free play environment, right? And then someone who is advanced will also can also technically can also benefit from spending five minutes on the rebounder each day. And there are professionals who um, who have have become better pros by working. It's well well documented. They spend a lot of time say working on their free kick or spend a lot of time on their non dominant foot over and over doing very simple tasks with their non dominant foot to improve that area of the game, even though they are actual grown professionals. So what I'm basically trying to say is also be careful um, to understand that you can't fit nicely beginner, intermediate, and advanced to whether or not you practice a skill individually or within a, a more complex environment. I think the environment that you practice and how you decide to practice is based on a lot of uh, uh, things, including how much time you have, who's delivering the instruction, the context of the instruction, blah, 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 what resources you have, blah, blah, blah. And related to that is, of course, there are diminishing returns anytime you practice anything. But I have found, at least in my experience, in, and I've tried my best to observe thousands of kids and I'm, and I'm constantly watching that people underestimate just how technical technical can be so a lot of times they'll say oh my child is you know they're too good to do this or they're too advanced to do this simple thing but i can see things i can see that they would benefit from doing these skills in isolation and you might say well are you some kind of skill whisperer no and then I'll save this for another podcast, even though I did, um, even though I did break it down in one podcast, there are measurable components I look at. There's a level of precision I can look at. And quite frankly, I do train a lot of kids and there's, there's things I can see that um, lets me know that they would benefit from doing these drills in isolation more um, than just doing them in a complex environment. Uh, and so that's just my personal opinion on that. All right. So that was the second part. I forgot these two points in the, in the podcast, but I wanted to close the loop on that and let's get better together.